We started our series, you remember the other day, of Comfort Doctrines. We talked in the very beginning, in the first lesson, that God is a God of comfort. Uh, God does show us comfort in many, many ways. Then we talked the second lesson, uh, the thought of, is hell real? Last week we studied that and uh, determined that most certainly it is, even though contrary to mankind that he may teach otherwise. Some beliefs and uh, do that as well. But this morning, I want us to turn our attention for the few moments that we have together. Is the doctrine once saved, always saved, scriptural? Is the doctrine once saved, always saved, scriptural. Today we continue the study of the comfort doctrines. A comfort doctrine, if you remember, is a teaching designed to give comfort to one who does not want to be held accountable for sinful activity. Now you think about that. In our society in which we live today, accountability is one of the main things that we are lacking for adults and children and younger adults, older adults as well, for people to take accountability for things done wrong. Now the doctrine we're talking about again this morning is the one designed, again as I just read, to give comfort to one who does not want to be held accountable. And there are very lot of people who do not. A lot of people have the way of thinking today that, oh, if I'm just a good person, if I've been baptized, or maybe if I haven't been baptized, and added to the body of Christ through his blood, that everything will be okay. It really doesn't matter what church I attend, where it really doesn't matter what belief I believe, whether it's I'm saved or always saved, or whether I must be baptized or before I'm saved, or am I saved through accepting Jesus Christ as, as my Savior, it really doesn't matter. Well, yes, it does. Because that's not what the Bible teaches. And when we read and we study this doctrine that we're talking about this morning, once saved, always saved, the gist of that is the fact that one says that I cannot fall from the grace of God. There's nothing I can do to separate myself from God. Now we know and we understand through scripture as we're going to establish this morning that that is nowhere near the truth of what the Bible teaches. We do not have to turn very far in scripture to see as we read just a moment ago in Genesis chapter 3 and verses 1 through 5 that we find Satan there, the serpent, approaching Eve and asking her if God has said they could not eat of any of the trees in the garden. And we know how Eve replies, don't we? 
We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Notice what the serpent says in our reading. You will not surely die. For God knows that in that day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like the God, knowing God good and evil. Right here is the first example of the very first teaching of a comfort doctrine. You will not surely die. People are teaching in doctrines today all across this land that you are, can be saved and never fall from the grace of God. They are teaching you do not have to be baptized to become a Christian. You don't have you can go to the church of your choice. You see, that is totally opposite of what the Bible teaches. The Bible speaks of one church, one belief, one baptism, one Lord. And we cannot change that no matter what we want to do. God has set down standards and God has set down rules and God has set down ways that he wants you to worship him and he has set down the ways he wants you to live and our God is a jealous God. He is but also a just God. But he is jealous when we take and put things before him. But the world will tell you you just do what you want to do, and when you want to do it, if you don't want to put God first today, if you don't want to put Him first tonight at 6 o'clock, if you don't want to put Him first at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night, if you don't want to put Him first every day in your life and read the Bible, you just go right ahead and do it, you shall surely not die. That's what the, that's what the world teaches, but it's also what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, the Bible says, we are to put God first. But what about this doctrine? Satan denied God's penalty for sin. In the world in which we live today, God, the world is teaching that you have no penalty for anything that you basically do. Now I'm going to tell you, I've, I have friends who are lawyers in the law. But I'm going to tell you what, people get in trouble and make bad choices and we spend thousands of dollars for them to figure out some way to get us out of a problem that we brought on our own self and keep us from having to find accountability. And the same process goes into religion. Man has twisted, man has turned, man has changed the colors, Man has changed, done everything he can to the doctrine, the true doctrine of Christ in this Bible that you can read just as well as I can read to make it suitable for your life to be enjoy and put yourself first and not hold yourself accountable. Once saved, always saved is not a doctrine of the Bible. And we have to teach it, and we have to believe it, and we have to quit living like it. People say, well, I'm a member of the church, and I'm baptized, and I believe that there's one church, and well, we need to start acting like it. 
Because when we take and go about and put our own ways of, I'm going to please myself before pleasing God, you're living like you believe that you're always saved no matter what. When we find ourselves participating in things of the world, and we find ourselves living as the world, we're, and we have no regret for that. I don't care what the preacher says in the pulpit at McCoinsville. I'm going to do what I want to do and when I want to do it. We are living, you are living the once saved, always saved doctrine because you feel and you believe that nothing you can do can keep you out of heaven. I'm telling you this morning, you're going to miss heaven if you don't put God first. That's what it means. But the world has taken and turned our way of thinking as a whole. Not everybody, but some of us. On August the 4th, 2009, a man by the name of George Sedini walked into a health club facility and shot and killed three people and wounded nine other people and before killing him on his own staff. <clears throat> he kept a daily blog, and as the officials went to his apartment and dug up his computer in his latest post, one of his last posts stated this, Maybe soon I will see God in Jesus. At least that is what I was told. Eternal life does not depend on works. If it did, we would all be in hell. Still in the quote. And he says, I was reading the Bible and the integrity of God beginning yesterday because soon I will see them. You read the other blogs, he had, been he had been attending a denominational church. And their pastor, if you believe, had been asked about that. Do you believe? Well, that's what we teach. This man's mind felt that he could go and shoot and kill people and still go to heaven because of man's doctrine teaching that once saved, always saved. There was nothing that he could do to fall from grace. There are people who right today who are shooting and killing people and living sinful lives and doing whatever they want to do because they don't feel like they're going to have to give any accountability for it. Last week we established what? Hell is real. And there are going to be a, a lot of people who are going to go there. Because that's what the Bible says. You see, the doctrine was developed and promoted. Actually, the first 1,500 years, this doctrine was not found. But it was promoted and taught by John Calvin, often referred to as Calvinism in the 15, 1530 and 1540s. And it was not prominently advocated before this time. And the degree to which this doctrine is taught is seen in, in several quotes. 
a Baptist preacher by the name of Sam Morris in an article on this subject said, now this is our Baptist friends, we take the position that a Christian's sins do not damn his soul. The way a Christian lives, what he says, his character and his conduct, or his attitude toward other people have, watch it, nothing whatsoever to do with the salvation of his soul. That is settled in Christ and Christ alone. Now still in his quote, all the prayers a man may pray, all the Bibles he may read, all the churches he may belong to, all the services he may attend, all the sermons he may practice, all the debts he may pay, all the ordinances he may observe, all the laws that he may keep, all the benevolent acts that he may perform will not make his soul one whit safer. And all the sins he may commit from idolatry, now watch it, to murder will not make his soul in any more danger. Now that's the doctrine that's being promoted and taught in our world today. Early as 1959, another Baptist preacher in the name of Bill Foster wrote, If I killed my wife and my mother and debauched a thousand women, I could not go to hell. In fact, I couldn't go to hell if I wanted to. If on the judgment day I should find that my loved ones are lost and should lose all desire to be saved and should beg God to send me to hell with them, he couldn't do it. End of quote. Now those seems to be some very strange and out there quotations, doesn't it? But believe me, that's what's being taught. That's how we're living, living some of our lives today. Nothing I can do. I can, I can hear lesson after lesson about being baptized. I can hear lesson after lesson about being faithful. I can hear lesson and lesson about doing good things and reading my Bible and coming to Bible school. I can hear all these lessons and I continue to refuse. There's no way that I'm going to hell. People are living their lives like that in the Lord's church. We may say, oh, I don't believe in this doctrine of once saved, always saved. No, sir, I don't believe it. But you're living your life that way. And we'll tell you, we have to find the truth about this. You say, well, why, why are you preaching on it? Because it is a prevalent thing in the way of thinking of a lot of people. And these are extreme sayings that I have laid out for you this morning. But what does the Bible teach? <clears throat> if you really want to know the truth about what we're talking about this morning, you're going to open your Bible and you're going to follow along as I list these scriptures. If you want to know the truth, what the Bible truly says, not what mom and daddy taught you, not what great-grandma believed. Not what uh, your pastor told you. Not what you heard on some internet website. If you want to know the truth about going to heaven 
and living your life according to his will, you will open your Bible and you will mark and you will read. I have tried to put these into the order in which they fall in the Bible so it will be easier to follow along. We're going to start in Romans chapter 11 and verse 22. Romans chapter 11 and verse 22 speaks to us and says, Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God and those who fail. Hmm. Who fail severity. But toward you, goodness, now watch it. If you continue in his goodness, he says, otherwise you also will be cut off. A small word there with a lot of power, if. Conditions must be met. He says, consider the goodness and the severity of God on those who fail, severity, but towards you, goodness, if you what? Continue. If, the, if it says you continue, it must mean that you were there once before. So you must continue in that faithfulness. If you're here this morning and you were baptized to become a Christian and added to the Lord's church 15, 20 years ago, you were faithful at some point in your life. And he says, if you continue in his goodness, so we can fall. In the book of 1 Corinthians, just right on over a few more pages. In chapter 9 and verse 27, Paul sees it this way. He says, but I discipline. Now watch it here. This is an apostle Paul chosen by Jesus. A man of God who wrote many, many, many books in the New Testament as we read and study today. But Paul says, I discipline my body and bring it unto subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I, now watch it right here, I myself should become dis what? disqualified. As one version puts it. Disqualified. If I am disqualified, I once was what? Qualified. You can't tell me that you cannot fall from the grace of God. When you were baptized and you put him on in baptism, you accepted him and, and, as your Savior. You put him on in baptism. You're number one. I'm going to serve you. But sin has now made you disqualified. And I'm going to tell you now, Paul, as much as we know about him and the problems he had, but also the greatness thing, the great things he done, if he considered himself disqualified or could become disqualified, most certainly I could consider myself the same way today. Go on over a few chapters. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also ye are saved, watch it right here, is that little word, if 
ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you unless ye have believed in vain. Hold fast that word which I preached unto you if, there's that word, if you hold fast, if you hold on. You go right on over into the book of Galatians in chapter 5 and verse 4. Paul writes again to the Galatian brethren there, you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, here it is, you have fallen what? From grace. You have fallen out of the relationship of Jesus Christ because of your sin. You've been attempted, he's walking, talking to these older brethren who are under the most law of Moses. You've attempted to be justified by the law. You continue to hold on to those things and deny the truth. And they say today in the world, you can't fall from grace. We could go on with many, many examples. I have a lot written here, but time is not going to allow me. It's already a quarter till. But you look at Hebrews chapter 6 and verses 4 through 6. For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if what? They fall away to renew them again unto repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. You see, this says that they were, at one point, a child of God. Now, this scripture does not teach that someone cannot repent. That word in there is impossible and, and enlightened that they once were part of Christ. You see, if you leave God, you'll be in the worse shape than you were before. You go on over in Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 26 and 27. For if we sin willfully, if we continually sin, we have received the knowledge of the truth. There's no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation, judgment, and a fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. If you go on in verse 28 and following, you'll come to the verse there eventually it says about it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. You see, we can ask the question, is apostasy, is apostasy possible? Yes, it is. What about answering quickly in the last moments that we have, 
Answering those who teach, once saved, always saved. Oh, God's love and grace. A lot of people say, don't they? Many of the passages used to justify this doctrine are passages about the grace and love of God. The thought is argued that if we are saved by grace, then then there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. Passages like Romans chapter 8 and verses 31 through 39 speak of God being for us. Who can be against us? It also notes that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God and Christ. Ephesians 2 and 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. They say, He's a just God. How do we answer that? These passages teach, what these passages teach is absolutely true. Our salvation is only possible by the grace and love of God. It is the prime factor, if you will, in salvation. And there's not a force in the world that can change that. But, how does that say it is impossible to reject his love and give back that gift? How does that say that we cannot lose our salvation? It doesn't. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9 says he cannot sin. Whoever is born of God does not sin. The premise uh, is sometimes made that this is the verse that means if one sins a child of God, it will, it, it will not be accounted against him. Some argue with this same verse that the blood of Christ would automatically cover their sins. As a child of God, some say you cannot sin. His blood will cover my sins if you reject him. If we reject him, we have no hope. We have no coverage. You see, it's like this. You can pay your insurance premiums up for 45 years. But on that 46th year, you say, hmm, I'm not going to pay it. Guess what? You just lost your coverage. You can live your life and live faithful and commit sin and continually to stay in that sin after 45 years or 46th year and you can lose your coverage. The love of Christ is still there but you're erring. Without confession and without repentance there's no hope for you. You can lose what you had. You see We could give many, many more examples. We need to know the, over, the overall true principle that God is greater than Satan, we see in every point. And let me say this to you Satan will not win against God. 
as bad as things may seem, Satan will not win against God. But that doesn't mean you cannot leave him. In John 10 and 29, it talks about snatching them out of my Father's hand. Verse 27 in that passage, Satan will not snatch those who faithfully serve me, those who die faithful. Now get this. Those who die faithful, Satan cannot touch. That's the key. It connects into Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. Be thou what? Faithful unto death, and you'll receive the crown. Those who die faithful, blessed are those who die in the Lord. You first have to become the Lord's, then you must live faithful. This doctrine this morning gives a false sense of security. When weighed in the light of the scripture that we've looked at, and what scripture has to say about faithfulness to God, and the numerous warnings throughout scriptures, it's akin to Satan saying, you shall surely not die. This doctrine this morning, and the maybe the way you're living your life, and maybe what the world has taught us to believe that no one's accountable that does not take away your accountability to God. Either right now at this very moment or the day that every knee shall bow. There's coming a day that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. There's coming a day while one might choose to obey God's will which is that those who teach the doctrine uh, want, and, and so do I. This doctrine teaches us not, is not necessary. The result is that you set the terms of your service to God with this type of a doctrine. People want to come to God and to Christ with conditions. You cannot come to Christ with conditions. You cannot come to Christ or to God and say, I want to be a Christian. I want to go to heaven. I want you to continue to bless me. And then turn around and say, but I still want to go to places that I go. I still want to forsake you. I still want to do the things of the world. I still want to have all my time on the weekend and not give you no more than I have to. I still want to hang out with this group of friends. I still, we could go on and on and on. You cannot come to Christ with conditions. One might say, but my family believes this. You can't come to God with that. Because I'm going to tell you, I don't care. I've got a large family. If we get them all together, there's usually about 50, 60 of us. 
but know how what good name they have, that is not going to get me to heaven. On the day of judgment, I will stand before God and he will ask me, Matthew Scoggins, was you baptized for the remission of your sins? Was you added to my son's church, the church of Christ? Did you live faithful? Did you put me first? None of those people can answer for me on the day of that judgment, and I can't answer for them. I must answer for me. That's how it stands. This doctrine, you can't come to Christ with conditions. We serve a jealous God. Our God's a jealous God. When, when you put him, when you put things in the world before him, he don't like it. When we have an opportunity to be together with the saints and we don't meet it, that obligation, he don't like it. When we love the world more than we love him and love his church, he don't like it. When we sit in this pew and we say, I'm as good as anybody else, or I don't need to make a change, I've got a lot of more years to live, I'm going to live forever, I'm invincible, he don't like it. What he wants is you. You remember the old poster, Uncle Sam, I want you, finger pointing now. God wants you. But the question is, do you want God? That's the question. God does not want you to perish. 2 Peter 3 and 9 are to be a great source of comfort to us. As his children, he tells us he wants us to do right. Understanding his grace and mercy and love, that it ought to be a source of comfort. And even when you do sin, no matter how terrible it is, he has provided a path for you to return back to him. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. He who promised is faithful. Oh, he's going to chasten us. You see, you and I this morning can live with hope. But we can only live with hope this morning if we are faithful in striving to serve him, putting him first. Let us never seek to diminish sin that we may be guilty of. If you've sinned this morning and you know you're not a Christian, take care of it. God's waiting on you. How much longer are you going to tarry? If you refuse to obey him, be afraid. Be very afraid if you refuse to turn from the ways of wickedness. The scripture says that he knocks at the door. We sing a song. This morning, he's knocking at the door of your heart. Let me come in. Let me come in. Accept me. 
live faithful, change your way of life. I want you to go to heaven. I want you to go to heaven. But you know what? One day that knock will get lighter and you'll hear it no more. And then it's too late. You've missed your chance to go to heaven. You've missed it. What will you be doing? Where will you be when that knock stops? This morning, please come together we stand as we sing.